turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 through the end of the chapter this morning. But for those who haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here with Mercy Hill. And it really is just a, a joy to have each of you with us this morning. If you're visiting with us, really, I know, I know Sean said it earlier, but, but really, thanks for being with us this morning. And really are just um, honored that you, would, that you would spend your morning with us. And we hope you are served by just being with us this morning. And, and really, let me encourage you, as he did, just to jump into whatever we have going on in the life of the church, and you got teens jumping to youth group next week and, and all these sorts of things. We love having you here this morning. Um, well, uh, I, unlike Sean, I am really actually sad that my wife is not here this morning. Um, so, just in case this gets back to her. Uh, but my wife, if, if, you, if you know her, she, she's, she's an artist. So she's a fine art artist, so she does, she does watercolor, she does, she does ink paintings. And, and I really, um, I'm biased, but I really like her work, right? So I really do, I like her art, and I think she does... Um, I don't really know a lot of art categories, but I think she's good at the art. So it's kind of where, where I'm at. But there's, there's one piece that she'll, she'll usually do stuff, and I, and I like it, but there, there's one piece that I don't really get. But, um, but she really likes it, and she's really proud of it. And so it's this piece, and it, it's in our living room, and it's kind of on her mantle. And it's, I don't know how to describe it other than it's just sort of shapes, and it's green, and has some orange in it. And, um, every time we come over, or every time people come over, I mean, really without fail, people like just, talk about this painting. Oh, this is a great piece, you know, and look, I love how it just, you know, connects, you know, just ties the whole room together, and, and, and they just rave about it, and I just really, like, I, I just don't really understand. Like, it's not a painting of anything. It's just, it's just colors and shapes, and she's like, right, it's just, it's really, I just designed it to bring the room together, so that's sort of the design of it, and it's just like, it's really just a celebration of hue and texture, and so it's like, okay, I don't understand that. So now whenever anybody comes over, though, I tell people, yeah, it's, it's a, you know, I saw it, I just thought it's a celebration of human texture, and it's just something I love, you know, just the way it ties in the room, you know, and the way it brings in the furniture and the carpet, and it draws it together, and I don't really know what this means, and so, I, we used to go to museums together, she's kind of stopped going with me, but she would find things that, so I, I like going to some, well, likes a strong word, um, I would go to these museums and some of the paintings I would like, but there was this, so oftentimes she would just have to explain to me half the paintings and I just think, tell me why this is good. I just don't understand. I like the one of a bird that looks like a bird. I don't understand why this one that doesn't look like a bird is, is good. And so she would just have to explain these things to me sometimes. And so I, I like paintings. I like artwork. I just don't like the ones that I need to interpret. So I don't know if, if that's, if you can relate to that in any way. Um, even the ones that tie the room together, I'll knit. They're just not my favorite ones. Um, but I'm somebody that, that, that likes to see sort of the clear image. I'm not somebody that likes to see sort of when something needs to be interpreted. When Matthew 2, verses 13 through 23, I think Matthew is painting a picture for us. And I think it's one with a, a very clear meaning. I think it's one that has a, has a very clear and rich meaning to it. But depending on one's knowledge of the Old Testament might need somebody to kind of explain a little bit of what's going on to really get the full picture. It's one where there's obvious narrative, the, the events that take place are very plain. But to really get the rich meaning, I think we need to just do a little bit of looking to really see what, what the full picture is all about. But I think it's one when we, when we see the full picture, I think we're going to see it, it, it's really a, a beautiful image of who Christ is and what he's accomplished, of, of how he is the fulfillment of so many Old Testament promises and hopes. As we see the picture that he paints here in Matthew chapter 2, it's not just something we look and see, oh, wow, yeah, I see how 
Jesus sort of, you know, he's the completion of, of things that started thousands of years earlier, how he just solves the puzzle. I think to really see that for the beauty that it has, we need to see it's not just the fulfillment of thousands of years of history, but it's the fulfillment of what we need, that he is the fulfillment of, of what we lack. What we lack before God has been fulfilled in Christ. Where we have been faithless, he has and, we're, and our faithlessness has been replaced by his faithfulness, that our failures are overwhelmed by his perfection, that our, our sins have been conquered by his holy character. All that we have lacked and all that we lack in ourselves is, so, is fulfilled in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And so the picture that he paints this morning isn't just that Jesus is sort of this technical completion of what was started a long time ago, but it's, it's, it's really just the sense of that what, what our sins and the things that would normally hold us back from relationship with God, we have instead an all-sufficient Jesus Christ as our representative. But I think for all of us this morning where we, where we feel the effects of our sins and our weaknesses is we all have the, oftentimes the instinct to, to struggle to draw near to, the, to, to, to who God is and to relationship with Him. Morning, I want, to, I want to take a look at who Christ is and, and what he's done for us. And so I think that's the picture that Matthew wants to paint for us in these verses. And even in a, a section that, that's really a continuation of, of, of the birth narrative and, and is really just a historical event that we really look at, I think we, he reveals just a glorious picture of who Christ is. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. The main theme is going to be that Christ fulfills all that we lack. Christ fulfills all that we lack. So let's pray. And then we'll jump in. Well, Father, would you increase our confidence in who Jesus is? Would you increase our confidence in what Jesus has done for us? For those that are already walking in relationship with you, Lord, who Jesus is and what he has done, Lord, would that just be more and more the, the governor that we, that we set our lives to, that we set our confidence in, that we, that we build our lives upon? But for anyone here that does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would reveal your son to them this morning and that they would see him for the, for the blazing glory that he really does appear in, Lord, that they, they would see him rightly, that whatever would obscure their vision of him, Lord, would that be removed so they could see your son as he ought to be seen, as the Savior of the world and the source of all beauty and joy. So, Lord, would you reveal him to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so let's begin reading in chapter 2, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And he remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all, and in all that region who were, who were two years or old or, young, or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, who refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. 
But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that, was spo- so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Okay, so I think there's just two big streams that sort of Matthew is giving us this morning. So sort of, if, if you will, almost the way two rivers converge into one major body of water. I think he's, he's got two streams working of, of what he wants us to see in Christ. So the first thing that we want to see is that, that Christ fulfills what God has promised. Christ fulfills what God has promised. So in stream one, he, he, he's continuing to show, right? And this began, if, you were, if you've been here for the series or if you're familiar with Matthew, this really begins chapter one, verse one, that he's continuing to show how Jesus is the Christ, that he is the anointed one sent by God, that, that he is the fulfillment of just so many Old Testament prophecies, one after another, that his entire life is, is spent fulfilling what God has promised and foretold. And so in these verses, we see how Jesus move from the place of his birth and relocates for years and then eventually how he settled, how he goes back and, and settles in, Na- in Nazareth where he grows up. So the, the events are, are, relative, are relatively easy to follow, right? So an angel shows up to Joseph in a dream and, and notes that the life of Jesus is in danger. So because, he- because Herod is evil, Jesus' life is at risk. Herod is evil and he is scared and he is jealous. This goes back to the first half of chapter 2 when the wise men went to Jerusalem, assuming right they, the, the new king would be born there. Only instead of finding the king of kings, they find this temporary and pitiful and just cruel ruler while, they, while the real king was just a few miles away. And Herod, was, and Herod hated any threat to his throne. And Herod, right, he, he's just a picture. I mean, in all the evil and all the... The villainy that, that would rightly be ascribed to him, right? He, he is just simply a, a picture of, of, of just how, how, how evil sin is and just how, how our sin really works, right? Instead of in just embracing his human frailty and embracing just sort of the fact that his life is very temporary and his reign would be very temporary, instead of embracing that and sort of finding hope in the, in the eternal king to come, he, 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 he rather would, he would rather send it away. He would rather, he would rather sort of, he would rather try to, he would try to destroy the hope he has. He would try to ignore the reality of his life rather than be confronted with his real and actual condition. So he seeks to have this threat killed. And in order to do so, he, he has all the babies in Bethlehem killed. Herod is a wicked man and is a wicked ruler and he will stop at nothing. We just, here we just have a devastating picture of just who this, uh, of, of, of his sin and his wickedness and just a, a picture of just a wicked man. And you see there's just this unbelievable contrast, right, between, between Herod who is this, who is this king and, and between the true king of kings, right? Herod is one who will sacrifice the lives of others so he can keep his status. Well, the true king sacrifices himself so others can join his. And because, G, because, Joseph was warned Jesus is not in Bethlehem. He is, he has, he, his life is spared. He has been sovereignly protected by God and led out. And years later, they head back. They don't go back to Bethlehem because Herod's son, who is more wicked and evil than his dad, more cruel than his dad, is now in charge. So, so they settled instead in Nazareth. Now, Nazareth at this point is not, it's not only a small place, it's Really, it, 
an outpost would sort of be maybe the best we would sort of have, and that might even be an exaggeration. It's just this little tiny spot, this forgotten little village. And if you were a Jew, you didn't want to be from there, sort of, if you will, it's this little village on the other side of the tracks, if you will. It's just not a place of renown. It's not a place you'd want to be from. So in all of this, just prophecy after prophecy is just being fulfilled, proving that he is the unique Christ. He is whom God has promised. What God demands and what God has promised of his anointed one is being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. These verses, right? I mean, these just, there's just a, a small sampling. These don't contain all the prophecies fulfilled by Jesus, right? I mean, there's just dozens and dozens and dozens in, in the book of Matthew alone of just specific look-aheads from the Old Testament of who this person would be and what, we, what he would accomplish and what his life and death and resurrection would accomplish and how he would be the one to completely change the course of human history. But Matthew is using a few specific ones to just, in a sense, just put more brushstrokes on what he is saying about who this Christ is. That he is the one we've been waiting for. The, the promised one of God is here and he's on the scene. He's referencing Hosea 11 when he says that he would call his son out of Egypt. That's, that's in verse 15. In verse 17 and 18, he's, he's, he's quoting the prophet Jeremiah of what Jeremiah of old said would happen. The, 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 the town he is from, Nazareth, is actually goes back to Isaiah 11, chapter chapter 1. Where it's just talking about from from how the name itself of the name of Jesus is town is a fulfillment of that verse that 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 the promised one who would who would produce fruit is from this town, and being a Nazarene he is fulfilling that that he would be a rejected person from a rejected place and so we just see prop, specific prophecy after specific prophecy being fulfilled in the life of Christ, and as Herod right we just see this picture of Herod who wickedly tries to maintain his status by any evil means necessary, right? We have this picture of, the, of this king gripping for power and doing whatever he can to maintain his crown. And then what happens to him? He's just a footnote in history. As he dies and the next one comes up, right? Just Herod's doing whatever he can to maintain power. And he's just dismissed. And then the son comes. And the son's going to be dismissed later. It's just one, he's just part of a parade of one after another after another. While the true king, while the true sovereign over all things is the one who is protected and he is the one who is fulfilling what God said. Really, Here's a picture of Psalm 2 that as rulers rage against him, right? That, that rulers are trying to take their stand and, and battle him for supremacy. While the sovereign one is on his throne directing human history to its appointed end and to its appointed and promised one through the one he has sent that those who seek prominence are just sent to obscurity because of the blazing glory of the sun has come to fulfill human history and has come to fulfill God's appointed end. One has fulfilled all that God, that God has promised and history bends to him and that is who Jesus Christ is. And so Matthew is painting. You see another way? Yep, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. That This is who God has promised he would send. Just a, a couple of, of quick thoughts before we move on to the, the second point. One is, if you're here this morning and you're, you're at least skeptical of the Christian faith, if you're somebody that's just, you know, coming because family comes or, you know, it's good to go to church, I guess, and, and hear some good, good things. But if you're kind of skeptical about, about who Jesus is and, and, and what this book says is really being written 
by God, is that these are the words of God, that Jesus is, is God himself in human form coming to save humanity from their sins. I want you to know that, that history has verified what the Bible says. Right? History has, the, the things that, the events of the life of Christ have been verified historically, that, that these prophecies aren't just those things we're pulling out of the air. Like these, are, these were written hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth and life of Jesus, and they were all fulfilled. And, says that, and history has, has verified what he said. We, 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 can, we can trust this book. That this book has been put under more scrutiny than any other book in the history of the world, and it has come. It has just been shown that it has no flaws. It has no. It has no inconsistencies. It doesn't have anything that sort of that anybody with, with a reasonable mind and anybody that's willing to actually engage with with, with facts would would say has been false. So, so 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 it's true. But but it's not just that it's true. It's not just that that it contains history. This book, because it is true, because of because of the author is God, because of what it reveals about Jesus Christ. It's not just that it. It happens to contain true history. This book forces a claim on your life. So I, I just finished a, uh, a biography on Cornelius Vanderbilt because I'm an exciting guy and this is, this is what I do. And who doesn't want to know more about Vanderbilt and um, read more about the beginning of the tycoons? And that book was, I mean, I, I've ever written really right that. That book was true. I mean, the, like, it's one of these books with like 60 pages of, you know, end notes and, you know, where they, where they get their facts from. I, I think that book was true. I have no reason to doubt the sort of the authenticity of, 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 of what the author is saying about Vanderbilt and sort of the life he presents. But here's the reality about, about that book. That book makes no claim on my life. The book sort of is, okay, that, that's an interesting biography, and then I can put it on the shelf. If you're here and, and, and you, you have not submitted to, 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 to Jesus Christ, you need to know this book is not only true, it not only has real historical events contained in this book forces a claim on your life. Because what it reveals about Jesus Christ is that he is, that God is the sovereign over all of human history, that he sent his son Jesus Christ into the world, and that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He took all the penalty that man deserves because of their sin, and he took it upon himself, and he died, and three days later he rose from the grave. Later after that, he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling with him over all things. And so here's what you need to know. That's not just, oh, that, that's a cool story. That's not just something that, that, that works for some people. It makes a claim on your life that you either, you either submit to him with all you are, that you either lay your life down before him, you repent of your sins and turn to what he, and, 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 turn, and repent and, and turn to who he is, and you can have faith in who he is and you can, you can live for God because he accepts you because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. You either turn or you face the right consequences of your sin. You know that this, what this book reveals is that makes a claim on your life. We aren't just reading historical facts. We are reading things that you must give an account to and you will give an account to someday before the one who made you. If you're here this morning and you have questions, I, just, I, I would love to talk with you more. I'd love to answer questions that you may have. But to know we can't, we, we can't read this book and be neutral towards it. We either, we either submit ourselves to what it says or we reject it and face the consequences that no one, no one, in a sense, gets to walk a middle road when it comes to what this book claims. Secondly, I think we, we see in... And Herod, right? He, Herod's so wicked. Herod's 
vie to, or claim just to vie for supremacy is, is so obvious and so evil that, that I think it's often easy to overlook how so many of us do the same thing. How so many of us with our lives and with the pride of our lives and with our, with just sort of an arrogance that we can live in can have the exact same heart motive that Herod has. Here's what I mean. In my pride, listen, I, I, I don't think I would ever, because of the grace of God, because I'm not in a place, I, I don't think I would do what, what, what Herod did. There have been so many times where I've, I've battled God for supremacy in my own little world, where I've sought credit for things that only God get credit for that I've sought glory and honor for things where only God is supposed to receive glory and honor. Just just this week, we had we had my wife's family in, and one of the family members was just sort of encouraging Em and I, and just some some impact that we had made on their life. And, and here's what here's what's going through my yeah, we are pretty good, you know. We we, we have had made this in like we we really we really did do it. Like you're right, we did do this, and and and. Like, I'm not saying, I'm like, oh, you know, thanks, you know, it's, you know. I'm saying the right things, but in my mind, there's just this sort of this, this flood of just sort of this, I'm claiming credit for something that God has done. I'm, I'm sort of wanting his praise instead of recognizing, this praise all belongs. If we've done anything, it's because God's grace has been active in our lives and we've had a little bit of outflowing to other people and that's to his praise and his glory. But what I'm wanting is I'm wanting credit. And wanting credit for things, wanting to vie for supremacy with God, I just want to say, it's not small. It's not one of these things where it's like, but you know, if God kind of frowns upon it, no, no, to vie for God's supremacy could not be a bigger deal. When, 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 when a Christian is, is sort of battling God for his throne, you just got to know it, it ends one way. And it's never with us receiving the glory. It's always with him. So if you see areas in your life where you just see pride existing and you see you see yourself just wanting credit, you see yourself sort of, Wanting to share credit with, with, with God a little bit. This be a wake-up call that this is something quite serious. That we need to repent and remind ourselves that only one sits on the throne. Only, there's only one who history bends towards. There's only one that is reigning and ruling over all things and working all things to their completion. And it's not me and it's not you. Second stream we see is that Christ fulfills what his people require. Christ fulfills what his people require. So this book was written to, originally, was written to an audience that was primarily Jewish, right? So Matthew was written, written to a, a primarily Jewish audience. And that's important because to the people primarily that would have been reading this book would have been familiar with the law. They would have been familiar with the Old Testament. They sort of, as maybe probably for the most part, more familiar than, than we would be, that they just kind of would have thought out of this paradigm. So as they're seeing these things come out, they would have immediately made connections to things in the Old Testament. And so over and over, right, Matthew's just talking about how he is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament pointed to. But but it's not just that he is the fulfillment, though, of specific promises, right? Yeah, that That's all over the place. I mean, as we go through the book, we're going to see it more and more. But even in these verses, right, there's just several he just completes, right? He's just, oh, yep, he fulfills that, he fulfills that. But it's not just that sort of verse by verse, he sort of completes the checklist of things that, 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 that he fulfills, right? It's not just that there's this sort of giant checklist in heaven and just God's up there checking them out. It's, it's not just that, that he's the fulfillment. It's not just that he's the fulfillment of all these individual promises. It's, 
He's the fulfillment and completion of all that, that, that it pointed to. Sort of, the Old Testament told a story, and Jesus is the fulfillment of what that story pointed to. He's not just a piece here and a piece here. He's the complete picture. He's all that it pointed to. We're going to see this elsewhere in the book, but he's the fulfillment of the law. and he's, He is the anointed Messiah. He's the perfect sacrifice that the people need. He's the great high priest. He's the, he's the perfect king. But, but right here, he's pointing out that he is the one who fulfills all his people lack. And Matthew wants to make sure that we see that. So he's not just giving sort of some bio, simple biographical facts. He's, he, he, he's sort of saying, no, no, do you see, do you see the picture that Jesus is, that he's fulfilling that? He's not just check the box, check the box, check the, there's a picture that the Old Testament painted and it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's doing that primarily by, by, by going to verse 15. And in verse 15, he is quoting from the Old Testament prophet, um, prophet of Hosea. So it's in Hosea 11. So he's quoting in verse 16, Hosea chapter 11. Now Hosea 11 is all about how, uh, is all, it's all about the nation of Israel and the people of Israel, right? And, and it's all really, it's just, it's the story, it's just their history. It, it's the story of how God, of how God loves them and saves them. And they were, throughout their history, they were just unfaithful, right? They were just this roller coaster ride of just unfaithfulness. But God was faithful to them and he loved them as you love a child. That he was just constant in his love and his affection despite Israel at best being disobedient. And so he calls Israel his son and he says that out of, out of, out of Egypt I called my son. And he is referring to Israel. So, so he is saying in, in, in Hosea chapter 11 that, that, that his child would be delivered out of, the, out of Egypt. So Hosea, when he wrote that, he was looking back. And he was primarily looking at the Exodus and saying, yep, he, he brought us out of Egypt. He brought us through and God has, has led us faithfully through. And he, so he's noting that that's something that he has already done. But there's this tension in Hosea. And the tension is this. So, so God is faithful. God, God has delivered his people. And God just has this unrelenting and pursuing love towards his people. He treats his people like a child. He just does this and he does this and he does this. But, but how can this be given that God is holy and his people just keep failing and failing? How can he continue to love them as children? Even though they keep going down and spiraling down. And that's sort of the, the tension of Hosea 11. Now, in using this, this, this reference, Matthew's not just sort of noting, huh, here's a coincidence. Jesus was in Egypt. The people were in Egypt. That, 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 that's, that's a cool connect. That's not, that's not what he's doing. He's saying, do you see what he's saying? He's like, Jesus, he is the fulfillment of Israel. He is the true son. He is the better son. The answer, the reason why Jesus can continue to be loving towards his children, the reason that though his children sin, though his children stray, though his children are unfaithful, that he can continue to love them and love them and love them is because all that his people were supposed to be, all that they were supposed to be in being faithful and obedient and servants of God, all that they were meant to be, Jesus is. So when he's saying they were both delivered out of Egypt, he's not just noting one coincidence. He's pointing back to saying that was about Israel. That was about Jesus' son, Israel. This is about the true son, the better son. This is about Jesus. And where one failed, one, one succeeds. Where Israel was faithless, this son is faithful. Where Israel, because of their own sin, right, for so long could not enter into the promised land, this son brings us there. God's followers, his people, aren't just citizens, they're, they're family, they're sons and daughters, because, because God has a true son who represents us. Where Israel fails, Christ succeeds. Where we fail, 
where we sin and fall short, Christ is perfect. What we lack, Christ fulfills. John Stott says it like this, As Israel was oppressed in Egypt under the despotic rule of Pharaoh, so the infant Jesus became a refugee in Egypt under the despotic rule of Herod. As Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea, so Jesus passed through the water of John's baptism in the River Jordan. As Israel was tested in the wilderness of Zin for 40 years, so Jesus was tested in the wilderness of Judea for 40 days. And as Moses from Mount Sinai gave Israel the law, so Jesus from the Mount of Beatitudes gave his disciples the true interpretation and amplification of the law. He's saying Jesus, Jesus is the true Israel. He's the true Son. Where where others failed, He succeeds. Where where they forsh- where they only foreshadowed, He fulfilled. Now this is important not just to read in a sense the Old Testament story accurately. It, it's also to, to recognize wait all that Israel was meant to be, all that His children were meant to be. All that it meant to live in relationship, perfect relationship with God. All that, all that it was meant to be. Jesus is. He is perfectly loved and he is perfectly obedient. He brings joy to his Father. But he does so not just on his behalf, but as the representative of the true Israel. He does so for all the children of God. Which means the Old Testament no longer is simply a record of the failure of the people, right? Though it contains a lot of failure of the people. It's not just a record of their falling short, though though they fell short. It's also pointing ahead to the one who would succeed, who would be the true Israel, who would be the representative the people need. And so now all of a sudden, the record for God's people is not mixed results. It's not failure and compromise. It's not worldliness and fear and doubt. All of a sudden, the record is seen through the prism of Jesus Christ. And so the record has been recast to reflect the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done. So all, the, all of God's people have this record fulfilled for them, which means you, Christian, have this record fulfilled for you because Jesus is the true son and the perfect son, the son whose righteousness trumps your sin. For God's people, the story, there are countless stories of failure is not failure. It's faithfulness and purity and hope and a future and unrelenting love. It's the thing that should govern your 2020. What you should set your hope on in, in 2020 is not your performance in 2019 and say, well, you know, really the, the, the yardstick and sort of how, how I'm doing is, is, is how I did this last year. It's what Christ has accomplished for you. Whether you are loved or whether you are loved or not by God is not based on your feelings. It's not based on whether you would love me in this particular year and how I'm doing lately. God, God's not looking at your feelings. He, he's not. He's not looking at your track record. He's looking at the record and performance of His Son, who represents you. His love for you is unconditional because because it is. Because it has been secured by, by Christ and, and, and he now pours out, out of the overflow of the love he pours out in his son, he now pours out onto you and onto you. It just, just keeps flowing because, because, his, because his son was perfect, because his record is perfect, because he is God himself, because he represents you. Just this love overflows and overflows and overflows and flows onto you. And so your, your fellowship and your access to God is not based on how you did this week. 
is based on what He has done for you. Your own hope, right? And we're all going to have moments like this. That you find yourself, and in, in maybe whatever this would look like in your life, proverbially speaking, just of your own wilderness experience, where you just feel like, man, I... And for most, it's not just that you'll have this feeling for, for days. For, for, for many people, they'll, they'll have just years where they feel like their life is in the wilderness. Where at times they just feel like, I, I, I see what, what's ahead. I see where I'm supposed to be. I, I see sort of the place that God has, has promised to bring me to. I, I see sort of the fulfillment up ahead. But man, I feel like I'm so far away from that. Listen, your hope isn't that you're going to arrive on your own strength. It's the Son, there's a Son who's already passed through and now delivers us through as well. The perfect Son has secured our future and our fellowship with God. So Matthew is quite clear. He is not just the historical fulfillment of events and promises, He is our fulfillment. My brother in law works for a company. We're talking this week about work and all that kind of stuff. He works for a company that was recently sort of acquired or bought out. I don't know the sort of the, the business he term, but they were, they were acquired by another company. And so they, they, the, the workers uh, for this company didn't really want to be bought out, and, but they had sort of this vote. And I don't really know all the insights they asked, but the workers had, the employees had uh, one proxy. So the way the proxy would vote would be the way that sort of the, in a sense, all employees would vote for this, for this buyout deal that they were having. And so one, one proxy sort of represented sort of all the employees of, of this company. And um, so whatever the proxy vote was, right, it, it counted for my brother-in-law. So whatever he voted for was, was sort of the vote ascribed to him. Now, he didn't really like this vote. He didn't really like this proxy. But brother and sisters, we should like ours because he is our fulfillment. So this year, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. The Trinity, so Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father, they are going to have perfect fellowship together. Again, I don't really know how to count the infinite past, so I don't know how many years this is, this is that, they, that they've had this, but they're just going to have perfect fellowship with one another. And are you aware that you're invited into this, that what Sean was talking about, it's not just like, hey... You know, Christian, we get to check the box this year. You know, won't that be great to really have a sense of accomplishment if we can really read a whole book this year? Man, that, that'll feel great. No, we, what we are, we are invited in to fellowship with, with the triune God. Why? Why are we invited? Why is it that we could have had, you know, honestly, a pretty, pretty bad 2019 in terms of just our faithfulness and our performance, and yet we are invited in. We are welcome to come into the presence of God and spend time with Him and have fellowship with Him. Why are we invited into Him? Because Christ is our representative and He has granted us access to come on in. This doesn't minimize our need to grow. This doesn't mean that we take our sin lightly. Rather, it should fuel our desire to keep coming and coming because we live not so, so, that, so that Christ will secure our future. We live in light of the fact that Christ has secured our future. This is the time of year, right, when, when many people, right, they just they make resolutions, and I don't know whether you make them. And whether you, but whether you make resolutions, or not, I mean, most people this time of year, it seems like they sort of have things that they want to change and that they want to do, and whatever you want to call it, just things that they kind of look ahead and like, boy, I'd like to do that this, this coming year. And I mean, I've got my list, you know, just areas I want to grow as a husband and, 
as a parent and as a friend and as a pastor, right? And there's all these areas. And listen, make plans. Right? We should we should make plans and intentions to change and to grow and to be different. Listen, the minute I'm putting all my confidence for my relationship with God and my plans for how I'm going to perform this year, I'm just doomed for failure. Listen, we we don't we don't grow so that so sort of you know what let's grow and then Jesus will fill the gaps and sort of he'll get us the rest of the way. No no no, it, it, it's it's Jesus has this just overflow of sufficiency that he just pours out and pours out and pours out on us. And so his record is credited to me and his righteousness is credited to my account. But it's not just, it's not just that, that his, it happens to be in the account. It's that he's pouring more and more and more of himself into me, which over time flows out of me more and more into faith and obedience. And one day, because of him, I'll, I'll turn from faith to sight in the presence of him. But that he just overflows this out of, out of him more and more and more. Of, so here, here's the point. What, what battle do you face in the coming year? When you look ahead, what, what, what's, the, what's the thing that, that, that causes just anxiety? You, as you look ahead, what, just even your own growth, and your, own, your own good intentions to change, what, what, what doubts creep into your mind? What, what patterns do you look at and say, I, I mean, honestly, I'm going to put in some effort, but I don't know if it's ever going to change. I, I don't know. Listen, here's the reality. Christ fulfills all that you lack. He is the true Son, and He is working in you, and He has fulfilled all we need, and He is the one who is working and working and working until He, be, until he completes the good work that He has begun in you. So as we look to the year ahead, we should be those who are filled with faith. Because it's not up to our record. It's not up to our, our ability. It's not up to sort of our performance and the chart we would have over the last five years. It is built in who Jesus is and what, is, and what he has accomplished. And so let, let that motivate us to read more about him here. What Sean was telling us before, right? let that, that motivate us. Man, I want to get to know him more. Let, let it motivate us to tell others of him. Listen, we aren't telling people a 12-step program to better living. We're telling people they have a sufficient Savior who accomplished all that they like. That you're right. You should stand far back from God, except Jesus has accomplished something that you could not. So come on in. It should, it should motivate what we tell. We should have confidence in Him and confidence in 2020 that if you are in Christ, you will grow to look, look more like Him. That that we as a church will look more like Him. That others around us that love Jesus but have but are fighting to hang on will look more like Him. Because we have the perfect one representing us. So let that fuel our hopes as we look ahead. And let that, let that shape how we look behind. And let that color our perspective for the year behind. That where we failed, Christ is still our representative. Where we, where we lack, Christ is still sufficient. That while we, in a sense, would have disqualified ourselves, Christ Christ's righteousness is greater than our sin, and so we can enter in in 2020 because Christ fulfills all that we lack. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sufficiency of your Son. Lord, I pray that we would be a people more and more marked by faith in Him, obedience in Him, that we would be more and more a people gripped by him and what he's accomplished. And that, Lord, as you 
capture our, our eyes on him, Lord, I pray that each and one of, every one of us who know you would look more like him at the close of this year. Fueled not by our desire to be loved by you, but fueled by an overflow of gratitude that we already are. Lord, would you accomplish this in our midst, I pray. In Jesus' name.